As your interior designer, I'm saying do everything in black. Walls, sofa, carpet, goldfish, everything. Um, can we not have a bit of colour? Maybe one tiny highlight in Battleship Grey. It's your home, so you should be in charge. With Avancard's flexible home improvement loan, you are. You can choose any repayment period that works best for you up to 84 months. That's seven years. Find out more at avancard.ie. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. New applications only. Seven-year term applies to minimum loan value of €20,000. Avancard Dock Trading as Avancard is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, Water Code Radio presents the greatest podcast in the world, the architect Samuel Plan, the devil's advocate Shinobi, the lunatic king Marek, and single-syllable mother, the right side of the pond. And of course, if you're not down with that, we got two words for you! What's up, Lords of Pain, and welcome to the right side of the pond. It is Friday, and welcome back to Match of the Decade. So, we have been looking over the past, well, last week we uh, we looked at 2014 through 2016. Um, I guess like a month ago now, we, we started this and we looked at um, sort of 2010 through 2013. So... Yeah, we've kind of been been kind of covering uh, the decades we went on, and this year, sorry, this week, we are going to be looking at 2016, 2017, sorry, 2017, 2018, and 2019 thus far. Um, so, a, a curious mini era, this one. Um, we are we are in the second brand split, of course, um, and I guess the first big thing on our on the agenda for 2017 is um, your boy Seth Rollins uh, up against Triple H in the non-sanctioned match at WrestleMania 33. Well, just before we get to that, I wanted to uh, make sure to um, give uh, a shout-out to uh, the pre-show match between uh, Neville and Austin Aries for the Cruiserweight title. I don't know if you can remember it, but it was it was a very, very good uh, 15 minute long uh, cruiserweight title match uh, then parlayed them into a really good feud over the cruiserweight title um, and to be fair you know and you also had Ambrose v Corbin for the IC title on the pre-show that got bumped from the main show I remember Owens and Jericho having a pretty good US title match um, so uh, to be fair I think there's some decent match quality on that show but but yeah absolutely I mean Seth versus Trips is certainly when we talk about best of the decade uh, I think that's up there. I, it's kind of still a, um, a a bit of a bitter point for me that uh, it didn't get uh, the uh, you know the the plaudits that I felt it deserved, and, and not just as a Seth fan, but in general, I thought it was you know, and I still think it is an incredibly intelligent uh, match, incredibly well performed, particularly when you consider that there were kind of doubts about Seth health but i think looking back he was probably a lot healthier than the company ever let on and i think that, that was very clever um on their on their part um but uh, you know we were talking about late uh, sort of late career trips last week uh, and this is another one of his best best matches i think i thought it was the best pay-per-view match that year i know uh, i think doc felt similarly as well um and i thought it was the best match of the year honestly it's a very really clever 
angle. I think I think the thing was is that they obviously did so well to recover um, from the fact that they they started this angle in September sixteen and didn't really do anything with it. Um, you know, all the way sort of until well, was it the turn of the year? Uh, pretty much, yeah, because he, uh, they sort of, they, they did that weird thing where they tried to extend it out to like Rollins feud with Owens and Jericho and stuff, but it was only when he turned up at uh, Takeover at Royal Rumble weekend that it kind of properly kicked off. Yeah, absolutely, and I think they obviously used quite cleverly the fact that he did sort of re-injure the knee, but but not, you know, sort of. They kept the state of that quite quiet. They had Samoa Joe. Um, as the sort of hitman, I think they were at plan originally was maybe for Rollins to wrestle Joe as an intermediary before yeah. WrestleMania, and that didn't end up happening. Um, but I thought it was a, a brilliant match, and I honestly, bloody Triple H's career is on the line every bloody year, except when <laughs> it should have been. Should have been, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I said this the other week that um, this really should have been Triple H's retirement match, and he should have retired. Agreed. Point. Yeah. Um, and that's my problem with all this Batista stuff and, um, you know, all this wrestling in Saudi Arabia and stuff. It's a bit like Triple H had one great match left in him. And I think he had it with Seth Rollins um, on, on that night. And, and I think the only thing people hold against that match, because I think everybody liked it well enough. I think people um, and, you know, you and I aren't big proponents of this. Some people felt that there wasn't enough crowd noise. Um, you know, I, I don't personally subscribe to that as a theory over whether a match is, is inverted commas, great or not. Um, but I know that a lot of people do. Um, but, yeah, I thought it was tremendous. I loved the entrances. I loved the um, the presentation of it was brilliant. Um, the poetic justice of sort of Stephanie going through the table, um, you know, all I mean, that type of stuff. Yeah, a couple of things. I mean, the 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 thing that the thing that baffled me about the um, entrances, which I agree, I thought were really cool. Um, and I remember like Steve Austin, I think, talked about this on his podcast, perhaps. Yeah, obviously, Seth comes out with the torch, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, and bizarrely, people, and I'm not sure how widespread it was, but I but I did see, and again, I think Austin mentioned it on his podcast or something, but. But I saw people sort of confusing that, which was the torch was there because he was there to burn it down, to burn the authority down. And he was dressed as the Kingslayer from uh, Game of Thrones. Um, but because it was like a torch, like an Olympic torch, and because he was dressed in a, you know, in, in a in a vest or whatever, people seemed to take it as some kind of passing of the torch thing. Uh, and it was like, that's, that's absolutely not like you, you totally missed the point of the symbolism that they're trying to convey with that, which is about, cause he's, you know, his, his gear and it's my, on Twitter recently, someone asked, what's your favorite Rollins gear? It's my favorite gear he's done is the Kingslayer gear, the golden stuff. Um, you know, it, cause he was there to kill the King of Kings, which of course he, he did. Um, and on the crowd noise front, I think it's a particularly, I mean, I can understand why people might necessarily adopt that, but you know, my view on it has always been that you can have, uh, you know, a fantastic wrestling match and fans may not necessarily react to it because there's so much that can affect that sort of a thing. It's, you know, it's not as, it's never as simple as if it's a good match, fans will, will respond to it. Um, well, so there's, 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 a, there's a, there's a kernel of that 
to it absolutely but you know when you when you're in a when you're in a massive stadium with yeah without a roof that kind of normal dome like the crowd noise just kind of escapes that's why i don't like these stadiums like yeah especially open air ones yeah yeah it's why i much preferred those kind of medium-sized manias i wrote a column on this a couple of years ago um the the medium-sized manias you know your 18s your 19s your 20s you know well actually 20 was really small wasn't it It was msg um well i think i think 18 was about 80k wasn't it um, it was the, it was the same place. Oh, sixty. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Which probably means it was about about thirty thousand people. Also, in the they crowd. build stadiums in quite a different way now. Like a lot of these bigger stadiums are quite atmosphere less. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, whereas, like you know, the one they held WrestleMania seventeen at, which was like a kind of older, you know, older stadium, um, you know, had that sense of intimacy and that sense of atmosphere about it that. Um, you know, certainly Jerry World for 32 was a terrible, terrible venue. Um, so, yeah, I do, I do yeah. think that that's an, a, a sort of an aspect for WrestleMania. Like, people think um, that they're going to kind of get that that rabid atmosphere that you kind of got in the mid to late 80s. And the problem is, is that, you know, they, they sanitized it for you to the point that you're not really going to get that. Because it's you know it's what we've talked about in the past, isn't it? Is that it doesn't as a show it doesn't have any personality anymore. Uh, it's just generic, bland, and you know it. So the so you've got the 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 crowd noise factor, and you've also got the length of the show that factors into it as well. And granted, the the Rollins H match came sort of at the halfway point, um, but that's you know I mean that's that's really marred what Roman has been able to do when he was putting those spots at the end of like seven hour long you know, pay-per-views and it's a real danger this year with, um, you know, it, I think it probably hurt Styles and Nakamura last year. It's a real danger this year with, with the women going on last and with, uh, you know, the Kofi match and stuff. They've, they've got to get a better handle on how they want to build these, these, you know, Enormo cards uh, to modify one of your uh, phrases there, um, you know, to, to make sure that crowds don't approach the last match utterly exhausted. Well, uh, I mean, having been to, just having been to TVs, you know, Raw's like a, a three-hour show. Just having been there for three hours, you come away and you are absolutely exhausted. So what it's like at the end of a seven-hour, because they're there for the pre-show as well, lest we forget, you know, in the arena. So what it's like at the end of seven hours, one can only imagine. Well, yeah, what they've got, I mean, actually, in some ways, what they're doing this year is a little bit clever because they do have enough main events that people are interested in that they can basically do four mini WrestleManias within the card. Because you you can peak, you can peak towards Kofi Bryan, which I would think would be the first of those to go on. You know, then you can peak towards um, Triple H and Batista, peak towards Seth and Brock, and then peak towards uh you know the women at the end so uh and if if they i think they've got to build the 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 show around those four matches haven't they and that if they're clever about it as well you know with the stuff like the angle corbin thing excuse me the stuff like the angle corbin thing um if they follow that formula i'm always banging on about these days with SummerSlam, where they keep the the least interesting stuff nice and short then they could just about get away with that, you know, because they built SummerSlam around three matches, yeah. which was the main event, uh, the Dolph, Miss Brian, Rollins, 
this match in the Brian oh no sorry uh, not 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 the main event uh, AJ and Joe those were the three matches AJ Joe Rollins and Dolphin and Brian and Miz that got the you know so you could easily obviously WrestleMania is a longer show anyway so you can easily extend that out to include a fourth match uh, and then just jot everything else around it you know five minute match there two minute squash there or whatever um, and and have a show that doesn't exhaust people. But I mean, it's interesting because we're we're getting sidetracked as we all want to do, you and I. But um, I was thinking about this earlier when they announced this whole Worlds Collide thing at Access and stuff, and we've sort of talked about it in the past. That WrestleMania is at a stage now, and WrestleMania Week's at a stage now where it's less the quote unquote Super Bowl of wrestling, and it's more the Glastonbury of wrestling, right? It's like yeah. it's it's so big, it's like a festival. Uh, and so they'd be, I think, I, I genuinely think there is a, a, a legitimate argument to make to do with WrestleMania, what NJPW are doing with Wrestle Kingdom next year and having it over two days. Well, and, we and allowing fans, yeah. Allowing fans to just dip in and out, you know, throughout the week as to what they want to watch and stuff and essentially be put in a position where they can build their own WrestleMania. Well, yeah, we've talked about that over the last couple of years, haven't we, that, that, that it seems inevitable that they'll go to to two days and maybe you know sort of um almost like it almost sort of combined takeover into it in that sense but yeah it's, i mean i think the thing was about this is that um obviously like we were to get back to what we said about Rollins and triple h it was it, it was a match which um i think watched brilliantly I mean, I didn't watch it on the night. Actually, I watched it a couple of days later. But, but, but it was a match that watched brilliantly in the moment of, or in the moment of you watching it. Um, and I think it, it it's watched back really, really well as well. And I agree. Yeah. Um, the subtlety of the storytelling, you know, and it's and it's always the case nowadays, isn't it? When when two people wrestle a more old school match, it it tends to divide opinion a little bit because people just aren't used to it. Um, but well, that's um, it. it's it's a question of fashion yeah absolutely absolutely and i think the thing was is that if you've watched any triple h matches since the quad tear you know he doesn't wrestle barn burners when is trip when does triple h wrestle like you know heated brawls he doesn't because you know he changed he, he changed up his style after the second quad tear so that he could you know prolong his career so you, you, you know you've got to expect that he's going to do the cerebral assassin thing like and the thing is is that rollins was the ideal opponent for that because of the fact not only that rollins is a great seller but also the fact that rollins had this legitimate knee injury which has now become a trope through his whole career you know that everyone goes after the surgically repaired knee which is something you don't see a lot anymore you know it used to be all the time like you know sort of Around like two thousand three, four time, if someone was wrestling angle, they'd always go for the neck. Yes. You know, and and Cole would bang on about how Angle has a history of a surgical, you know, and it makes sense to do that. So I, I really like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, the other thing about the Rollins Triple H match is that there was, and I, you know, was obviously um, sort of uh, very lucky to have the man himself said tweeted my column preview about it, which remains sort of one of the most awesome moments I've had as a wrestling fan. Um, uh, but that column explored all the sort of the subtext to the way that they'd interacted on television and the, two, the history of the two characters and stuff. So it was a match that had a lot of, as has so much of Seth and Dean's work as well, of course, had had a lot of continuity behind it and, and a real sort of strong foundation in character 
Um, the knee added a, a nice psychological layer to it. Triple H wrestled in exactly the way he would in that situation. It was brilliantly constructed. And I think it's just one of those matches where just everything is just, uh, just, you know, picture perfect. It's it's it it was it was a story of told in a Bret Hart style, and that's I think probably why I loved it as immediately as I did, as much as I did. Yeah, and, and I think it, it brought that arc of the Authority to a brilliant close, and you know that was a long running arc. It started with Daniel Bryan in 2013, and it went all the way to Seth Rollins in 2017, and that was a uh, you know, should have been it. We should never have seen Seth and agreed. Sorry, uh, Steph and Trips um, on TV again after that. Except now you've got every McMahon, and they're all different. You know, different alignments, and uh, it's uh, a mess. Um, a couple of shout outs to uh, some undercard stuff on that WrestleMania, though, uh, particularly the pre-show. So um, we were both big fans of the Ambrose Corbin match, um, which is kind of destined to go down as one of the the great forgotten matches because of the fact it took place on the pre-show. But as a 10 minute IC title match goes, you know, you're not likely to see much better. Um, and also the Neville versus Austin Aries um, cruiserweight title series, uh, which went on, I think to the next two pay-per-views after that, if I remember rightly. It did. Um, and that was, those matches were all fantastic as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I said earlier, you know, there's a, there's a, a lot of really good quality uh, in the first half of that show leading up to the to the Seth Triple H match, which has been the, you know, as I've said many times on the show, it's been the pattern since 32 is that you tend to have a pretty good two, two and a half hours. And then it just falls off the edge of the earth after that when they start to get sort of indulgent and, and silly. And that's what's interesting about this year's card is that it's actually all the all the interesting stuff for once is actually in the stuff that's probably going to come you know, maybe at the back end, though, like we were saying, I think it makes more sense to structure it a bit like they did SummerSlam and, and just sort of pivot around the big matches. And, and like you were saying, you know, spurse them throughout the throughout the night. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so uh, I'm trying to think what else we've got here. So Stefan is with Samoa Joe from Payback. Now, this is, again, a, a kind of forgotten classic, like something that people haven't talked about a lot. But I remember really liking that match. It's very, very good, and it's it's um, reminds me a lot of uh, the it, Owen Hart Shawn Michaels match at, in your house before WrestleMania 12. Oddly, um, even though it sort of happens after the fact, um, because you have you know the 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 villain going after the injury that he caused, um, and and a sense of of uh, of uh, survivalism to uh, to the hero's uh, performance. Which is is what Seth, I think, has proven himself to be so good at since he's become a good guy is that he's he's able to, you know, have those kind of emotively sympathetic performances in contrast to a lot of the other kind of baby faces on the roster who tend to go for the, uh, you know, the AJ Styles approach of of uh, of sort of exhilaration and, and wowing the crowd with the action rather than perhaps trying to get them to emote with uh, the story, which is just another reason, you know, and that's why you and I are both such big fans of Dean and Seth both is because they have an older school mentality to the way that they, they operate in the ring. And this is one of those matches, this Joe, the Joe Rollins match uh, that, that boasts as such, I think. Well, um, as is, as is Joe, you know, I mean, the thing is, oh, is yeah, he's, totally, totally. he's very much a successor to your, 
you know, to your Regals and your Fit Finleys. You know, he's 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 just a he's a tough guy, isn't he? And um, the way he wrestles is, and I hate this word, but but I mean, Samajo looks as legitimate as it gets, doesn't he? Um, well, that was the the frustrating thing with Great Balls of Fire that year, which you know, <laughs> still a ridiculous pay per view name to, to say, is that they had an opportunity to make Joe what Brock Lesnar has been, but they'd have him for much cheaper and much more of the time. So you know, I, but I guess Joe doesn't perhaps grab the same uh, the same headlines that Brock does. Uh, but and of course, Payback as well, home of the House of Horrors match. Oh my God! Between, uh, Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton, which <laughs> remains one of my uh, top guilty pleasures in 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 all of my life as a wrestling fan. It was brilliant. I mean, the fact that um, you know, the fact that sort of it's become like such a uh, a meme has been uh, I don't know. It's it's been one of those kind of it's a blessing and a curse, isn't it? Because you never want wrestling to be too silly, um, because otherwise, like you almost. Um, like prove all non-wrestling yeah. watchers right about the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, however, at the same time, the quality of the acting while they're actually in the House of Horrors is is <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, it's certainly among my favourite things. Although nothing's ever going to top my my top guilty pleasure, which is of course uh, Big Show driving a golf buggy after <laughs> Kane and Raven with a referee in tow. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, <laughs> Big Show riding his father's coffin while Big Boss Man pulls it away is quite good as well. But yeah, no, that that um, hardcore title match from Seventeen is I, I absolutely love that match. <laughs> anyway, um, decade. Yeah, no, quite. If we were doing match of the two thousands, I think it'd be a much longer podcast. Um, <laughs> sorry, match of the nineties, match of the two thousands, either one. Um, well, uh, well, well. When we've got another uh, eighty million week build to a pay per view, we'll uh, we'll pull one of those out. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, right. So, well, we'd spent about like we'd spent six episodes just on nineteen ninety three. So true. Right. So, true. so let's let's see. Um, we had the Strowman v Reigns series of matches this year um, in twenty seventeen. What did you think of those? They were all right. I mean, I, I I enjoyed, to be honest, the one I enjoyed most was probably the first one they did at, at Fastlane that year. Um, and it became one of those cases of what I felt was a rivalry that just went on far too long. And by the time that um, they were doing the ambulance match, I was, I was, I'd had more than my fill of it. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I did this Reigns playlist uh, column a few weeks ago and I went back and kind of look back through the Reigns matches that I really liked. And I, I did really like the ambulance match. I think that was my favourite of them, actually. Um, which, again, is a typical Shield thing to take, like, a crappy gimmick, like an ambulance match, and actually do something pretty interesting with it. Um, I guess the old complaints were there, weren't they? That, you know, oh, Reigns won too many of them, or even when he lost, he looked dominant and, and all that kind of stuff. But if, if anybody made Braun Strowman, it was Roman Reigns, in my opinion. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Braun had come along and people were kind of, uh, you know, wary of him to begin with. And then it was the Roman series that sort of put him on the map. But we are sort of skipping ahead a little bit. One match that I want to mention, um, because we are ultimately meant to be talking about the best matches of the decade, not necessarily yeah. of the year. And I think we're, 
you'd struggle to find many in 2017 that are of the decade worthy. But one of them that nobody ever talks about is the Miz Ambrose match from Extreme Rules for well. the ice where uh, Ambrose, if he'd have been disqualified, he would have lost the title. And this is a match that is just like tailor made for you and I because it's so, uh, first of all, so you know brilliantly old school uh, and and suited to Ambrose's style because it's psychologic, you know, heavy on the psychology. But it's also like a, a typical sort of in-your-house type uh, sleeper hit as well. Yeah, I was about to bring that one up, actually, because we have just got to uh, got to Extreme Rules. And, um, you know, I loved that match. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And, you know, if you want to look at the renaissance of the IC title, I think that is the the one that, re- that sort of stands out. I think if I was going to pick one match that represents it, I think I'd probably pick that one. Um and actually, Extreme Rules that year, I mean, it was a good card generally, um, but that was the, the sort of the official curtain jerker, um, and it got the night off to a really good start. Also, a 20-minute IC title match, you know, that's just great. And Miz was on such a hot streak, you know, he was in the form of his life. Um, and again, like, it's a S.H.I.E.L.D. guy that's that's playing his role to help put over somebody that WWE is kind of strapping a bit of a rocket to at that point in time. So yeah, really, really like that match. And, and I think again, just illustrates what Dean Ambrose could do um, in terms of, of, of working that sort of more old school style. And it suits Miz as well, you know, because Miz isn't a, a flashy wrestler, you know, he's somebody that's more yeah. of a story based guy as well. So which is is why I'm filled with the dread about a falls count anywhere match with him and Shane at WrestleMania this year. Well, I mean, I, I feel with dread by watching Shane on any match these days, but it's. I mean, there's there's the match that's going to upset the formula if there is one this year. I think is is that which, and it's a shame you have to say that about the Miz's match. Um, because he's been lumbered with having to deal with Shane McMahon, who, you know, in 2019 is as irrelevant as anyone can possibly be. Yeah. With the exception, perhaps, of John Cena. Who has yet to be added to the card, so there is that to uh, to hold on to, at least. Um, on that card also, of course... Uh, we well, talked... you know why? Because I, 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 the, the mood that they're in, I would... If I was a better man, I'd put money on Cena turning up as a quote-unquote surprise on the night to squash Baron Corbin and take his place in the match against Kurt Angle. Yeah, and I mean, do something like they did with The Undertaker last year. I'd yeah. bet you any money. That's the yeah, I mean that's the troll move, and you wouldn't put you wouldn't put it past them. Q, uh, by the way, uh, stories on lots of pain about John Cena being at a car show nearby WrestleMania. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, one, of my, one of my favourite tropes. I, that and that's a, that's a, a case in point of, of what should be 10 minutes of the show becoming 30 minutes of the show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on that show also, guys, uh, we, we discussed Neville versus Austin Aries already. The submission match, I think it was probably, I think that's probably my favourite of the three, actually. Um, but then, of course, you've got Samoa Joe against Bala, Wyatt, Reigns and Rollins in the uh, Fatal Five-Way Extreme Rules match. What do you think of that match? I, I like I really liked it at the time. I, I haven't rewatched it since 2017. I watched it at the back end of the year when I was doing uh, end of year stuff as well. Um, so I've seen it twice, but uh, I haven't watched it back since. But I remember liking it, and I remember saying the one of the primary reasons I liked it is because it was a pay per view main event in 2017 that looked like it a pay pay per view main event in 2017 should have looked. 
you know, you had five of the top guys of, of that, that generation there uh, or of that era uh, wrestling for the quote-unquote right, scoff, scoff, to wrestle Brock Lesnar for the Universal Championship. And you think if that had been for the Universal Championship, it would have added a bit more magic to it. I remember it being structured nicely. Finn Balor had a nice arc. They did a cool alliance with Joe and Wyatt. They did uh, a really wonderful, they sort of uh, based it around Rollins and Reigns being the rivalry at the heart of it, which was cool. So I, I really enjoyed it. It's funny. I um... I wouldn't say it's, it's again, it's 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 of the year, though. Definitely not of the decade. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess what, you know, what we've kind of done is just try to look at what we've got, sure. you know, each year and... Um, and see what the big matches were that people really liked. I, I, I think I was a lot colder on this than most people. Um, I remember you being so, yeah. Because mostly it was, a, you know, I felt like it got, well, I realised the finish. I thought the finish was great and so much in Joe's character. But other than that, it felt pretty much like your standard crash, bang, wallop, multi-man match that, you know, people usually scoff at. But because of the people that were involved in it, they kind of gave it a pass. Um, you know, I think it was... It was probably a timing thing, you know, when you had so much crap going on, you know, and, and Lesnar was, it come off this Goldberg thing that nobody liked really. And even though it was well done, no one really cared that much. Uh, and he was universal champion and Raw was suffering for it. And then on SmackDown, they'd lost their minds with this Jinder Mahal thing. Um, and pay-per-view quality had, had taken a nosedive. I think people would just found, and I know I definitely just found it refreshing that you had this, you know, these five big names in this in this pay per view main event, uh, and like you say, I mean, Joe winning it probably is what was. I think had Joe not won it, if Reigns had won it or someone like that, someone less interesting had won it. Um, I'll, I'll change it. I'll, I'll rephrase that. A less interesting result had happened at the end of it, then I, I think it probably wouldn't have gotten as as you know as uh, as talked about as as it did. But 2017 was a drought, right? So yeah. a drought, a drop of water becomes an oil. Yeah, I can understand that. And actually, I'd like to go back and rewatch it. I don't think I've watched. I don't think I've watched it since that uh, that time. Um, and you know, I just, I do. I mean, I do feel like, um, yeah, I think you very much hit the nail on the head there. That um, it it was something that was exciting because of what else was going on. I mean, it's it's hilarious looking at this SmackDown only. Um, money in the bank card, you know, with a um, Baron Corbin uh, winning the money in the bank as match in a match against Styles, Ziggler, Owen, Zayn, and Nakamura. But then that means that the rest of the card is Jabroni Central. It really is. Jinder Mahalby, Randy Orton for the title, and Naomi and Lana for the women's championship. Like, oh dear me. Seven minutes. You know. Oh yeah, the women's the first women's money in the bank match that Carmella won because Ellsworth got the belt for her. Like, oh my life. Um, Briefcase. Yeah, you know what I mean. And also, it's it's not a belt; it's a championship title. Uh, yes, a title. Yeah. So <laughs> he hit him with the title. Well, okay. He hit him with a big word that said champion. Um, <laughs> okay, so the next show, the Great Balls of Fire show. Um, we really liked Bray Wyatt v. Seth Rollins. Another, I mean, as Seth Rollins was quietly compiling these kind of little mini mid-card classics that year, I remember. Yeah, I was getting very, very angry because, um, shock, um, because uh, I know it's difficult to believe that Plan would, would get angry at something um, or indeed refer to himself weirdly in the third person. Um, but I was getting quite angry because the, the from... The, 
and it kind of would go to get mirrored with with the Ambrose thing uh, uh, when he turned heel. And to be fair, I guess there is some some stock to it. But people were so obsessing over this this narrative they were imposing of him being a failed babyface uh, that they they I felt like they were it was a typical case of people writing stuff off before they'd even given it themselves a chance to sit down and and sort of really digest it. And the Bray Wyatt stuff, um, you know, because I I would maintain as hot as Seth got in 2018 and as great as his matches were, his match quality did you know that match quality wasn't him him. Sort of rising out of a out of a bad patch in his career or anything. The match quality he was putting together in 2017 was just as good. It's just people were paying less attention to it. Um, and these Bray Wyatt matches, I think, are, are are fantastic. This one, the one they wrestle on Raw the next night, is even better than this one. At great at Great Balls of Fire. But they were both just really, really smart matches, really cleverly and intelligently put together, uh, and exactly the kind of stuff that you know. I wish we saw more of on, on WWE programming, which is, you know, just mid-card, undercard wrestling uh, that's sort of around 10, 12 minutes long and, and just, just, just tells an intelligent, clever, fun story and doesn't take itself too seriously. It doesn't try to be the greatest match you've ever seen, but just concerns itself with doing what it's doing well. Yeah. Uh, I, I've got a theory on this, um, which is that, I think people saw him, you know, uh, defeat the king. And then it was a bit like they almost felt like, oh, why is Seth Rollins now just wrestling in the mid cards? Well, I've always always had this theory that it was important for Rollins to have this period of working the mid cards and working these 12 minute matches because when he got hot, it was entirely organic, which is the opposite of what they did yeah. with reigns. So yeah. what they allowed Rollins to do was just be himself and by being himself. So, you know, he gets his valedictory win, which cements the fact that yes, he is a baby face and he was the baby face in this triple H um, scenario. So he gets that and then he gets to prove it to everybody. And in the end, they made a story out of it. To start with, it was people like you and me that like stories kind of seeing the story. And in the end, they actually bit with you know, the company bit on it as well, that this was his redemption tour. And these kind of Wyatt matches and, the um, you know, all the other stuff that he did kind of working in a either in multi-man scenarios or, you know, or then when he starts tagging with Dean it's all part of this redemption tour. And I think it was really important, you know, when he hit that gauntlet match in 2018, um, he obviously then got really, really hot. And, but that couldn't have happened without what he did in this period of time. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that's, what's been so tremendous about his time since he turned in, in the summer of 2016 is that it's been a journey, you know, that, that, because people immediately in 2016 said, well, what, why do I cheer him? I've got no reason to cheer him. And he's a rare instance of someone who has, who has been allowed to, uh, and it hasn't always been explicitly presented this way, but there's no doubt that he's been allowed to go on a journey across multiple years of the product um, as a character and, and have that, that journey towards redemption that's only beginning, you know, only really coming to its climax at WrestleMania this year. 
in a way that feels so brilliantly natural at every turn. And like you said, it was important in, in terms of that journey to have the elating moment of, of, of knocking the guy who had beaten the guy who was responsible for him hitting his lowest point. Uh, but that wasn't the climax. That was just, you know, that was like end of chapter one, if you like. Uh, and then he had he had this journey here and the matches with Wyatt, I think, are an important part of that. Um, and unless we forget as well, this was the best that Bray Wyatt looked since really 2014 before he got fed to Cena. Um, like Bray Wyatt looked tremendous in the two matches. He won both of them, which I think did him a world of did the character a world of good at the time. It wouldn't last, of course. He'd go into that awful feud with Finn Balor straight after. Um, but I remember really liking that as well. Is you know Bray Wyatt winning uh, both of them, um, and then they they part. I think the original plan Seth has said on on I think Sam Roberts' show at some point that the original plan was for them to work so, SummerSlam together. Um, but they obviously decided to change the mind and do the Ambrose thing, and I and I think that that worked really well. The fact that they had like one pay per view match opposite each other, then a TV match to follow up, and then they sort of went their separate ways. So it, WWE almost stumbled into in, into a quite a unique feud in a way because um, you know what was going to be typical. Let's have you know fifteen pay per view matches till everyone's sick of seeing this. Uh, they they did the one pay per view match, the one TV match, and then they moved on. Um, and I think that, that that it felt refreshing for that as well. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Um, I think we need to see more of that, frankly. Um, Absolutely. And by the way, the TV match, like I said earlier, better than the pay-per-view match, as good as the pay-per-view match is. Uh, Bray White cuts one of his best promos uh, before it as well. Um, that is, I can say Shakespearean because I adapted it into being Shakespearean for a, a competition column a couple of years back. I remember, yeah. Um, so obviously, on, the, on summer, by the time you get to SummerSlam, then Seth is tagging with Dean after that tremendous uh, reunion storyline, which we again covered in detail on Sports Entertainment. Is dead back in God? Was it December now? Or was it January? November. November. My God. <laughs> so um, yeah, so we we covered that in in quite a lot of detail there this, from a story point of view. But I think what needs to be said is that once they have re, uh, reunited. The actual match quality up against the bar is, as you would accept, absolutely exceptional. Totally, yeah. If we're, you know, if if you want to talk about best matches of the decade, uh, I think both of the pay-per-view matches between these four guys are in that conversation because, um, you know, this uh, tag team wrestling went through one of its kind of brief spots of on the main roster, at least brief spots of of resurgence in that autumn and it was you had this on the the raw side and, and obviously new day so was on the final side um but i think these frankly were the superior matches because it wasn't again it was typical seth dean stuff it wasn't all hyperactivity it wasn't just you know let's keep having having we'll just extend this false finish a bit more and a bit more and a bit more and a bit more and a bit more until people are losing their minds it was clever it was it was intelligently worked it was incredibly emotive because of the 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 seth dean reunion that was you know genuinely tear-jerking to watch on on television the way that those two interacted with each other and and executed pulled off those uncharacteristically well-written segments um you know that translated into into a really powerfully emotive match I, i what i've always found so endearing about those those matches against the bar is that Dean and Seth look so scrappy in them. It's like that, that you know, compared to the kind of the polish that they'd sometimes sometimes have uh, when they were in the Shield, it was so scrappy and sort of wonderfully 
it looked wonderfully improvised and just sort of always getting there in the nick of time and um, it really reminded you because this of course was the first time they'd teamed since since 2014 when they were in the shield so uh, at least on the same page um, and it reminded you of how brilliantly it was when they were the shield as as um, as baby faces because even strangely I always remember that even though it was Seth and Roman who carried the tag titles if you remember towards the end of the shield Seth and Dean kind of became the team and Roman kind of took the lead as, as the singles guy and, and Seth and Dean always worked brilliantly and you see why in these matches it's just tremendous yeah and I think Ambrose's performance as the face in peril I think it's in the first one in particular is absolutely like brilliant and, I, and you're I'm reminded of the fact that during the Shields babyface run, you know, Ambrose was often the face and power and did that extremely well there too. And I think what I like about this match as well is it it sort of uses a tenet which I've always uh, coveted, I think, which is that um, when you're going up against a full-time tag team, the full-time tag team should be seen to have an advantage. Yeah. You know, and I always remember this uh, random episode of Raw in, I don't know, like 90, 98 or maybe 99, uh, where they had, you know, the New Age Outlaws in the main event against a couple of main eventers. It might have been Undertaker and Austin, but uh, don't quote me on that. And um, and the Outlaws were shown as having an advantage because they were used to working together as a tag team. And, you know, I think WWE didn't, really understand that for a little while after that you know you'd see sort of random main eventers winning tag titles while feuding with each other and terrible things like that but the, the thing is is that yeah a tag team that used to working together should always be two singles wrestlers or should be shown to be dominant over two singles wrestlers and obviously you have that whole thing of would their partnership hold up or were these problems actually too deep for it to uh, for it to hold up and so that you had this great tension to the storyline because of that. And the bar are brilliant antagonists. You know, they've shown that again recently with the uh, the, the, the Kofi Kingston storyline that, you know, even as sort of tertiary antagonists, you know, they, they lost in the gauntlet match. And so they beat up uh, Rhodes and Big E afterwards so that they would um, not be able to cope with what came next. You know, it's just I spiteful, think- you know. Uh, yeah, I think what's been brilliant and the reason why the bar worked so have worked so well is because, like you've sort of just been intimating, they're fantastic henchmen um, in, in a strange way. You know, they remind me of, of uh, Bebop and Rocksteady from from the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Well, as Seamus played. In fact. Well, yeah, God awful Michael Bay films um, that my, my friend forced me to go and see with him, um, and they were terrible as well. <laughs> But um, yeah, but the, you know that kind of uh, you know there's there's something uh, sort of even though there's not really anything hapless about them, there's something hapless about them. But at the same time, they you know they're these bullish kind of uh, you know just just smarmy, horrible, but but quite brutal um, antagonists. Uh, and uh, I mean that's why I love the fact. Against Seth and Dean as well. Seth and because the Shield, what was cool about the Shield is, uh, you know, it's it's like when you're a kid and you hang out with your big brother's mates. You know, uh, they had that kind of appeal to them, and and so you you kind of have the cool kids going against these bullish simpletons, um, and uh, that's what I loved so much about. That's why I love the uh, in the second match. You know, with because Cesaro injured. That's where he has the injury to his teeth, isn't it? His teeth gulping his gum. Yes. Um, 
And I remember, I, I, I can't remember where it was, I heard it on a podcast or sort of a video or somewhere that, that Seth, <laughs> Seth and Dean got WWE to make a Thetharo with Superman uh, t-shirt um, on the back end of that, which is just fantastic. But yeah, two great matches. And like you were, like you were saying, I mean, I said at the time that my, my reading of them was that you had you know, this incredibly slick and dangerously effective team in the bar. But on the other hand, you had a brotherhood, which can be a bit clumsy, but is is at the same time a stronger bond. Uh, and it was the stronger bond that, that ended up winning out. And just incredible, incredible uh, uh, pair of matches, I think. But a lot of people prefer the second one at No Mercy because it probably is the stronger match. But I prefer the first one because of its... Uh, emotive, it's got a, a heavy yeah. punch to it. Agreed. I, I much prefer the first one, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, but both brilliant in their own right and, yes. and quite different matches, um, for sure. Um, right. So, um, now looking at the rest of uh, 2017, the cupboard is pretty bare. Um, <laughs> yeah, not much going on. Not at all. I mean, I guess you got AJ Styles with Brock Lesnar, um, which was a little bit of a surprise at the time that they. It was the first match like that that Lesnar had in a long time, right? It went yeah. 15 minutes. Um, you know, Styles held his own. Um, there was a legitimate doubt at the end of the match whether who uh, over who was going to win, which I don't think anybody expected. Um, so you know, um, good on Lesnar for finally wrestling a decent match, I suppose. Yeah, no, if you're a fan of the Brian match, you'd be a fan of that one because they're basically the same match. Well, I think, you know, I think, as you said at the time, um, I think I was maybe um, kinder to the Brian thing than you were. But, yeah, certainly the Styles one is the original and uh, the, the, the better of the two. Um, although sort of Daniel Bryan's trolling of Lesnar at the beginning was very <laughs> funny, I have to say. Um Oh, she'll be New Day. Day. On, Forgot about that. The New Day this week on SmackDown was even better. Did you see it? That's true. Yeah, yeah, that was very good. B plus we'll player. <laughs> well, we'll go down to NXT and get three new guys on yeah. a fresh afternoon, and they can throw waffles into the crowd. <laughs> Which is pretty much Vince's creative process exposed, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> You're like, what's that? Hall and Nash have left. I'll just get two guys that like Hall and Nash. It's fine, yeah. and we won't even change their names. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I forgot completely about this match, which is a, a corker, which is the Shield will be the new day at Survivor Series as part oh, yes, of the SmackDown of course, B yes, Raw series. Um, and it is, I need to go and rewatch this actually, because it is it is probably the great forgotten Shield match, I'd say. Absolutely. I, I championed this till the cows came home when it happened. Um, I think a lot of the talk was around the AJ Styles Brock Lesnar thing because it was such a, a, a you know, a, a sort of. Um, a diversion away from what we'd become familiar with with Lesnar at that point, um, as well as the fact that obviously the attempted Shield reunion that year kind of had its wins taken out of the sale pretty much straight away when they did the reunion and then Roman Reigns got ill yeah. and had to miss the TLC match. So it was kind of a weird situation that year. Um, though I remember Shield and New Day um, were at the heart of the build to Survivor Series. New Day came out cost. Dean and Seth uh, tag titles. It was a great build, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, and then the, and then it was the go on SmackDown when Raw retaliated and the Shield were at the forefront of that, and it was just brilliantly done. But um, yeah, the match itself is fantastic, and and this you could pick up so much apart from it. Like you said, the great Forgotten Shield match. Uh, a couple of things stand out. The the first one is that 
Um, the opening of it's really fantastic in that you have, you know, a member of the Shield pairs off against a member of the New Day. They go through all three of them on both sides. And the same thing happens in each instance, which is the New Day get a quick advantage, start playing the fun and games, and then the Shield just sort of wipe them out because obviously the Shield's the more serious, sort of straight-laced of the two groups. And then there's a wonderful moment quite late on where, where Seth sort of just naturally, quite coincidentally in the middle of the performance, starts directing traffic that played up to his you know his his nickname is the mm-hmm. architect, and you kind of kind of it, that moment kind of just drove home that the three of them had just immediately slotted back into the roles that they'd had yeah. the first time around, and there was just something so so effortlessly, consistently brilliant about about their performance in that match, and it was good for the new day, I think, to demonstrate an ability to to really push the shield to the limit because um, you know there was probably. Um, a stigma hanging over the New Day that they were just essentially at the heart of comedy acts that sometimes had great tag matches. And I think being able to demonstrate a different side to them as a team and them as a unit um, was was really good for them. And I liked the way that they framed it as well in their promo before the match, which was, you know, the Shield as a, as a, as a brotherhood would always, you know, even though they might always reunite, would always keep stabbing each other in the back in a way that New Day never would i think admirably for wwe they very much you know got that characterization on point yeah no i'd agree with that and i I just think you know it was just really smartly wrestled it had an intensity to it it was you know it was really kind of it was really crisply done you know and it was quite a decisive victory for the shields in the end but it was still hard fought you know so um, and that was another good thing is that the, the the shield should have won that match because I think seeing the new day beat them would just somehow wouldn't have felt it's believable the right word I'm not yeah. sure but it, well, it, particularly, it, just, it just felt like the app the result that had to happen well yeah particularly as new day had come off um, you know kind of come off that feud with the Usos which you know the Usos ultimately won that feud didn't they mm. uh, so if they're losing to the Usos but then beating the Shield that seems a bit weird yes well quite um. Yeah, so I mean, on to 2018 then, and um, uh, you're a big champion of the 2018 uh, Rumble match. Uh, I am not particularly. Uh, so uh, yeah, go on. So tell us what you know. What is it about that Rumble match that you really enjoy, apart from, of course, well, the, the the contemporary winner, which is always a good thing. Well, quite. Though look, look where that's led. Um, the and by the way, that is as a huge Royal Rumble nerd. I mean, that bothers me to death that you go back and watch some Royal Rumbles now, and the the winner just seems so random because WWE never sort of got behind them as a permanent thing, and it was just like done in the moment. It's very frustrating. But the reason, I mean, first of all, the 2018 Rumble has a number of of uh, fantastic individual performances in it, um, which uh, you can go still go check out my archive of columns on lordsofpain.net where I did my countdown of the top 60 individual Royal Rumble performances, uh, uh, non-winning Royal, individual Royal Rumble performances of all time, which was a joy to, to I really had a lot of fun writing that and researching it. Um, I've seen it a bunch of times since it happened, and I think it's, it's, it's the contemporary winner is a big tick. Uh, it's got a fantastic final two with uh, Shinsuke and Roman with some brilliant cinematography in it. That's the sort of on a more minute level. Uh, it's like I say, ton of great. Uh, well, not a ton, but a number of great individual performances. But it's such an interesting Royal Rumble in the sense that it's so self-consciously riffing on the ideas of, uh, first of all, 
the generational divide, uh, the 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 longing among fans for uh, you know the contemporary generation to really take centre stage and for the company to get behind that notion plays actively not just in the finish but but pretty much in in different ways the whole way through. Um, there's a wonderful moment, for example, where Cena comes in and the action in the ring stops, much like it does. You know that moment when he comes in in the 2013 Royal Rumble? Yeah. And everyone everyone stops, starts beating him down, and then Cena just sort of gets the better of them all. Well, in this one, they flip the script. The same thing happens. Cena comes down, but he gets the absolute crap kicked out of him. And there's just there's just little bits of symmetry like that that I think probably only Rumble nerds like like myself would, would necessarily pick up on. But there's there's a lot of them in there. It's It's got a lot of Easter eggs in that sense. And like I said, just so self-consciously riffing on the idea of the generational divide, but also at times on the idea of the fan favorite against the company favorite. Uh, in a way, it doesn't surprise me that you're not that big a fan of it. I think it's probably too self-aware for it to really have the same appeal for yourself, knowing your sort of your tastes in 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 what you like. But I I, I admire it for it, and I and I think that it's just a, a really dramatic. Uh, just a really dramatic Royal Rumble match, and and the best one we've had in 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 a long time. I, I struggle. I I watched it again for this year's Rumble. I struggle to see what the fuss was about. Um, really, I really like Balor's performance. I think he's brilliant in it. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, like there are some good individual performances. It's Rollins brings like some great energy um, in the kind of the, the middle portion when he first comes in. Um, and, you know, like sort of Nakamura winning was, was really cool at the time. Um, I much prefer 16, I have to say. And like we talked about, like, you know, 16 is is a different winner away from being a um, a real top tier Royal Rumble. So, yeah, yeah I, I would I would champion 16 over this. I would champion 14 over this, even with the, <laughs> the Daniel Bryan stuff. Well, uh, the, the reason why I would disagree on that front is because I think that, I mean, 14 is an interesting one because... Uh, the Daniel Bryan thing really is its only issue. 16, I would disagree with more vehemently with just because I think there, you know, like we say, it, it's, it, Ambrose, it was absolutely Ambrose's night, but quite aside from that, there are other issues with the way that the, the wider matches is, is yeah. Produced. Yeah. The Lesnar thing and the, the, um, yeah. And the Reigns production, like I know those, range, those but, are two issues, but, but also when, when it, the other part that those two things are well documented, the part less well documented that, that really bothered me a lot when I rewatched it for the series I wrote at the beginning of the year, far more than I ever remembered it doing before, was when Triple H came in and this, just this horribly like overproduced, insistent section where you know Roman and Triple H stare each other down, then they circle around each other, and then Triple H hits someone with a pedigree, and then Roman hits someone with a spear. And then they do both do their taunt, and it's just so horribly, like self-consciously, just so self-important. And look at how dramatic it, it, it really bothered me. It took me out of the took me out of the match. Uh, I never like those stare down things. Um, the only one I will tolerate is uh, Hogan and uh, Warrior in Royal Rumble 1990 with the crisscross. What about Austin and Rock in 01? Mm, nah. <laughs> like I, I really like 2001, but those stare downs are. What if uh, Austin Rock do a crisscross in 2001? Uh, I might be more in my wheelhouse then, but, but <laughs> you know, um, I, I, I'm never a fan of these kind of you know manufactured um, moments. But I think probably Orton and Cena have completely ruined them for oh. me generally, actually. But but um, I, 
Yeah, they, I mean, I always remember they try it twice in the 2011 World Rumble, and both times they basically just kill any crowd interest in the match. Like, no one cares. Yeah, and, yeah, and I think that's the thing about... about um, I think you could say this about Randy Orton, and you could probably also say about Batista, is that ultimately they were kind of number three guys, and, and, and whenever you try and sort of go, oh, my God, look at this generational rivalry, you kind of go... Yeah, but they weren't really, were they? Yeah, exactly. Especially Cena and Orton, that always felt very manufactured. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, it, and the thing was, they were probably one great match away from it being a thing, but they just never had a great match together. Cool. Um, and I think I, I wrote that in my column on Orton last week. You know, the big irony of his career is that he has one good match against John Cena and one good match against Triple H, and those are the two people that he wrestled the most. So. Well, and, and the other the other thing about Cena and Orton is that you know a generational rivalry history shows is often quite scarce compared to everything else. You know when you think yes. about uh, Bret and Diesel, they had four matches over the course of an entire era. Hogan and Warrior had one. Austin and Rock probably had maybe four or five, but again it was across an entire you know across years and years. Yeah, and really it was Rock uh, Triple H. I would argue of that era anyway. Well. It, I think there's there's two different types, isn't there? But, yeah, but, yeah. And, and with and with uh, you know with Orton and Cena's era, it was it was really Cena and Batista that was the the big poster feud, and that happened, you know, well it happened three times I guess, but but really happened at the back end. Cena and Orton seemed to wrestle forever, like they they it was like the Sasha Charlotte feud of its day. It just seemed yeah. to go on and on, and they had 50 million matches, and it was just like you said, not one of them was really that good. The Iron Man match was pretty good. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, that's uh, as good as they got, I think. Yeah, what I wrote. full of shortcuts. What I wrote in the column was that basically he had the Iron Man match against, um, uh, against Cena and he had the uh, the No Mercy thing with Triple H and, and those were sort of Randy Orton's sort of best matches against the people that he was meant to be the biggest rival with and all of Orton's great matches <laughs> you know, weren't with those two people with Christian or they were with um, Del Rio or Ziggler or whoever it was like people that could give him the types of matches that Orson excelled in um, even the Undertaker to be honest um, whereas yeah he just never seemed to have that much chemistry with Cena or, or, or Triple H but again that's uh, an aside I suppose um, so yeah Rumble Rumble 2018 I think it's very watchable um, I, I, I'm yet to be convinced it's a classic but I do change my mind on these things so hey, who knows um okay so let's uh travel a little bit further into 2018 um it's weird that you had you had obviously the rollins gauntlet match yes so we just went with the tv of course yes the rollins gauntlet uh was uh exceptional and i think what the really brave thing about that was is of course they didn't have Rollins go all the way to the end did they he was kind of like he was I mean it was like three people to go when he went out or something? He beat yeah, he beat so he beat Roman first, then he beat Cena. That was his hour, and then Elias came out and, and I think dispatched him and then there was like Miz and Braun. Yeah. Uh and and maybe someone else. Finn, I think. Um and uh yeah, and but but because it was to build it was hype in the chamber, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, and there were seven men in it, so yeah. Um, and uh, but yeah, tremendous performance from Seth. Really, kind of started that uh, journey that saw him get so hot with the the uh, Intercontinental Title some months later. Um, obviously, they repeated it with Kofi this year, and and you know as it happened, lightning struck twice. 
um, and and it totally ignited Kofi's career as well. Um, but I think what was brilliant about that, I had an issue with when they did it with Kofi this year to start with because for two reasons. First, I feared that it wasn't going to lead anywhere. Thank God it has. Um, because it, if it hadn't have done, it would have been one of those weird moments where where a character inexplicably achieves something greater than anything else they've ever achieved, and it goes nowhere. And that would have really bothered me. Um, but also, secondly, it felt so incongruous with how suddenly it happened um, it, from an in, in-universe point of view. You know, Kofi had been a tag team wrestler for however many years, and all of a sudden, overnight, he's a world beater off in most of SmackDown Live's major roster the reason why i think it worked so uh why it was so easy to accept with seth and it, for most people it was easy to accept with kofi to be fair but just to prove just to try and demonstrate that it's there is some bias for me but not it's not all biases because seth had obviously been to the top he was a former world champion we'd seen him beat some of the best in in the company um and the way that they tilted the story was his his desire to get back to that point um, and so you could kind of accept that actually on his best night, he probably was still capable of beating Roman and Cena uh, back to back. And that I thought was what was uh, so marvelous about it. And I, and to be fair, you know, I think he puts in just as sterling a performance in the elimination chamber at the back end of that very same week. He has another like 40 minute performance in, in that thing, though that match is uh, not quite of the same, uh, the same standard, but I I think ultimately the, the one to talk about most is the triple threat at WrestleMania last year that opened the show for the IC title, which I recently rewatched. Yeah, which I was about to, I was about to praise you actually, because uh, that is the first I think the first really great um, pay per view match of that year, and yeah. um, you know I, I think I would say it was my main roster match of the year last year. Um, I'm not sure what that says about the year as a whole because uh, probably again, like I, I preferred a few things on Takeover to it, all in all. But it was a great, great match, and it was nice to see the Intercontinental Title get such a prominent place. You know, opening the show, getting 15 minutes, and and basically having the three guys who had propped up the mid card for the whole of the previous year wrestle for that belt was really quite fitting. It felt it felt suited to the legacy that everyone likes to bang on about with that championship, didn't it? Yes. And, uh, what's What's amazing about it when you watch it back is just how fast paced it is. I mean, it's relentless from the minute the bell tolls to the minute that it ends. They just do not stop. Um, and it's got little references there to the to, to past encounters and stuff that that are brilliant. Um, and obviously, kickstarted that hot form that Seth would would carry on for the rest of the year. And I think what's demonstrated, what's been demonstrated with this, with the, the reprisal of this same method with, or similar method with Kofi this year, where they did the, you know, the gauntlet, then he had a tremendous show in the chamber and he was absolutely red hot and they've gone, okay, we'll go all in with him. Is that you should really go with someone when they're at that point. And Seth got to that point ahead of SummerSlam last year but they still decided to stick with the stale Roman feud. And you think, okay, well, Seth's getting his shot now, but how much more exhilarating and exciting would it have been if they'd have done it when he was red hot on the back of his former IC champion that stemmed from that Gauntlet match and had him go over Lesnar at SummerSlam last year instead? But, you know, I, I get sidetracked again. Um, it's a tremendous triple threat match. To be fair, I don't, I don't know how you're going to react to this. 
I've also rewatched the mixed tag from that year with Ronda and Angle against Triple H and Stephanie, and that's outrageously fun as well. I think that's it's a total another guilty pleasure, but uh, it's far better than it has any right to be. I mean, it's it's such a fun, it's totally crazy. Yeah, completely. It, it was war. fun on the night. I don't know if I'd ever want to rewatch it, but it was hilarious on the night and very much like the thing about it is it's not very offensive as it? it it serves its purpose, you know, um, and as a sort of introduction to the business for Rousey, it worked fairly well, actually. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I didn't, you know, it's fine, isn't it? I, I don't mind it. Um, but, the, of course, the other the other sort of, in terms of quality, the other really good match in this is, of course, Charlotte v. Asuka. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, which I know you were a huge, uh, huge fan on, of on the night um, and since as well. You've been a big champion of it. I really liked it. I felt like... I know I'm a big fan of short matches generally, but I, I hold to this. I, I think it, it another five minutes and you, and you would have been talking one of the matches of the decade. I think they were building up brilliantly and it just seemed to end. That's that's my problem with it. Yeah, I can I can I can appreciate that. I mean, as I said at the time, and as I have continually said, talking about something that we hold to, that this should have closed out the show last year, that match between Charlotte and Asuka, because it had everything to do it with. Um, you know, it had the it had the very natural background. Asuka had that undefeated streak to her name. Charlotte, you know, uh, had this legacy that she was she was building. It was a match that seemed to to beg to be wrestled, that begged to be wrestled when Asuka won the Royal Rumble. Um, it was for, you know, the championship, obviously. Uh, and they seem to be very aware of how historic it was as well, because they mirrored the, the Triple H's WrestleMania 30 entrance with Charlotte, uh, which, of course, Charlotte was a part of at WrestleMania 30. She, came, she comes out on the throne and she has three men with her. So they were very clearly aware of, of what the, the significance of this match, but for, presumably because they even at that stage thought, no, no, the WrestleMania main event has to be held back for, for Ronda Rousey, which is kind of a little bit insulting to a certain degree. Um, you know, it, it was the second match on the card. Um, and I mean, in a way, I'm kind of thankful for that because it meant that they didn't have to go on in front of an exhausted crowd at the end of the night. But at the same time, it, it, it still galls me to this day that it didn't close out WrestleMania. And it, and it, 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 although I'm not generally a fan who puts too much stock in that sort of thing in, in, in sort of general terms. Um, but it's also worth saying, you know, it was a match that was begging to be wrestled again this year. And the fact that they've, bizarrely instead decided to give Charlotte the SmackDown Live Women's Championship so that they can end, the rumour is they can end the night with the four horsewomen holding the titles. It's like, well, why the hell? That's even more of a reason why you should have had Charlotte versus Asuka again then instead of yeah. having Charlotte carry this other title into this other match for this other title. I'm sure it will change by next week anyway. I don't know if you've seen that match on SmackDown. It's I have, yeah, it's very good. The one. It's a lot scrappier than the one they did at Mania, but I, I thought it was a, a tremendous and worthy follow-up to the one they wrestled yeah, at WrestleMania I, I, I well. think Charlotte wins cleaner than I would have liked her to. Um, but, yes, uh, I agree. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I did really. I watched it last night. I really, really did quite enjoy it. Um, yeah, I, I, I do. I, I guess the thing that really stands out about it not main eventing is that they didn't even give the belt to Roman. Like yeah. the the end of that yeah. WrestleMania was so deflating Absolutely. because you watch this awful Reigns Lesnar match and Reigns didn't even win it. And you think, was, you, I mean, you know, you went to all that trouble, 
Like, all that trouble to get him there for 31, and obviously a good decision in the end, but then you have Seth cash in and, and, and win the title. So Roman's kind of denied his big crowning ceremony there. You then do it at um, Survivor Series and Stairs, and then you have a big old sort of, you know, retread stuff with Vince trying to get the title off him, and, you know, and then they goes and in with Triple H for 32, they stink the joint out, but Roman wins. So they're like, okay, we've got to do this all over again because didn't do it right. They made the same mistakes. Comes into WrestleMania 34, having won the Elimination Chamber. Um, they wrestle this awful match. And then they Lesnar goes over. And you just think, right, if you were going to do that, put that crap on in the middle of the show and close it out with Charlotte Asker, you know? Especially because the Charlotte Asker result was such a shock. Yes. You know, exactly. with, with Charlotte winning. Like, I think that a lot of people thought there was probably a chance of her winning, but I don't know how many people actually genuinely expected her to win. Um, and But, yeah, I mean, if we were to do a, a show on the worst matches of the decade, and Lord knows there'd be a lot of contenders um, after the last three years, you've got to think that, that last year's WrestleMania main event, would, for me, would have to be, you know, the number one seed because it was... It was, it was like you said, deflating to the point of being soul-destroying. But it was also utterly inexplicable. It was so bizarre the way that it was produced. You know, because Lesnar basically just beats Roman up for 20 minutes and then wins. Yeah. And it's like, I, I don't even, you know, and you had the uncomfortable thing where he split him open the hard way like he did with Orton, and it was, diff- you know, difficult to watch in all the wrong way. Uh, and then he wins. Uh, and yeah, just and and you go. How many other stars did you did you sacrifice at the altar of doing this match for Roman? And the match comes at which point you have to have him win to justify the fact that you didn't have Ambrose go over, that you didn't have Joe go over, that you didn't have Strowman go over, that you didn't have Owens go over. Uh, you know, you, you've got to have Roman win here to justify all that that you didn't have Styles go over, and you don't do it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't do it. I mean, it's to do it instead six months later when no one's interested and everyone's just thankful that it's over. So the whole thing dating back to 2015 was a complete waste of time. Yeah, that's what I said. I mean, if yeah. memory serves, it was a decision that Vince made, another dis- example of a decision that Vince made on the day, as we are told, was the decision to give Charlotte the SmackDown Women's Championship this week was a decision he made on the day. You know, and, and it... It's just another demonstration of how WWE is going down the shitter because it continues to be slave to Vince McMahon's whims. Uh, there was a good, uh, like our colleague uh, Rich Latter from uh, One Nation Radio and LFP's main page had a good, uh, good tweet earlier on. He was like, uh, Asuka, you're going to be wrestling uh, Vanessa Bourne in front of all those geeks with belts at Access. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, sad, it's, sad but true. It's... It is very sad because Asuka was... I mean, I, I remain a huge fan of Asuka. She's probably yeah. my favourite female talent in the company. Um, I think the crazy thing about this is that nobody expected her to win the title or to retain the title, rather. Uh, um, or was it to win the title at Royal Rumble? Did she win it at Royal Rumble or did she retain it? She won it at TLC and then retained it. That's right. By, so, by tapping Becky out. Yeah, so nobody expected either of those two results. Like Nobody expects Asuka to walk away from that triple threat with that title. Nobody expects Asuka to retain it when Becky challenged her for it. 
she did both, but then they can, they totally wasted that. Like, yeah, she's tapped out Becky Lynch, who's the hottest thing in in pro wrestling. Um, and then that's it. They just decide they're going to edit her out of Mania plans. And they might have just thought to themselves, all right, maybe Mandy Rose v. Asuka isn't exactly going to put asses on seats. But, but they've already got the ass-on-seat matches booked, so it just seems a bit silly. It's, yeah, and what they've done is they've robbed themselves of two uh, headline-worthy women's matches yep. at, at WrestleMania because they've, they've, they've thrown everything at this already incredibly convoluted Raw Women's Championship match, which has been so overproduced at this point that I'm just waiting for it to be over. Like, I'm not excited for it or because of the way the WWE have built to it. Um, they have, they've, they're, they've now, they're now, I mean, if you're, <laughs> if you're someone who believes in transferable heat that we mock on this show, then you're in for a nightmare because Asuka tapped Becky out, but got beat by Charlotte, who was beat by Becky last year, you know, but, but on a serious note, drives home the fact that they never really get behind any one character to, to build any sense of dominance in the division or any sense of, unless your name's Brock Lesnar and you're not around for, for, for 30 months of the year. And there aren't even 30 months in a year. That's how much he's not around. Oh, yeah. And then they do that, um, like, ticker across the screen saying that Charlotte, Ric Flair's daughter. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a bit like, um, you know, they, they kind of talk up her kayfabe accomplishments and then can't even, like, get it right when they, you know, do a show hyping her. And if, as I said earlier, if the reasoning is what it's rumoured to be, that they want to end the show with all four horsewomen holding championships, which, first of all, who gives a fuck? Um, but also because they, you know, they're not, funnily enough, they're not the only women on the roster who've been doing incredible work for the last few years. And in fact, I would dare say at this point that there are a lot of other female talents who, frankly, are better than at least two of the four horsewomen, um, and arguably all four. Well, that's a story for another time. Um, you know, but even if that's the reasoning, there's absolutely like you've just shot yourself in the foot then because it would have been far more emotive for Charlotte to have beat Asuka earlier in the night to win the SmackDown Championship. Then Becky beats Ronda to win the Raw Championship and Sasha and Bailey retain it. And instead, you've got this weird situation where presumably you want to end the night probably with them all having a moment. But Charlotte and Becky have been at each other's throats for months and months and months as characters. Uh, you know, and why the hell does Charlotte even want to wrestle this match now? She's already won a championship. And more to the point, more to the point, it breaks the logic again. It's world building, isn't it? Because it breaks any kind of logic. Because now you're in this situation where you've got the Raw Women's Championship defending the title against two women who presumably are still SmackDown Live superstars because they keep appearing on SmackDown. One of whom is the SmackDown Live champion. So what happens if someone walks out with both titles? Are they on both shows? Like, what the hell is even happening? How does this make any logical sense from an in-universe point of view? As well as just a meta point of view as well. I mean, it's 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 just a it's just silly. Yeah, yeah. But the match was good. It, it was. Uh, I, you know, I think the thing is about this: if it's winner takes all, then that makes sense, and then you can unify a division. And you know, we've wanted that for a long time, haven't we? That the women certainly, if they, even if they don't abolish the brand split for the men, the women have always been would have been better off with one roster. Um, so, and especially if the tag belts are going across those brands anyway, like why not just you know, knock it all on the head and have well, one women's title. But but it seems they've not gone down that direction. So, yeah. but we don't know I've yet. Say, I've, been, I've been reading stuff online suggesting that, yeah, they're me too. Do it, that they're going to do it as if you pin a champion, you win the title. Yeah. Um, but if you pin Becky, you just retain the title. That you know, got. there were lots of this sorts of, there were lots of these sorts of complicated title match gimmicks in 
the early attitude era and the end of new gen and you know like they never watch back very well there's a lot of matches um you know around kind of you know mid to late 98 that have got this sort of thing going on and yeah especially the ones involving kane and the undertaker and they don't watch back very well typically so yeah I mean, the, the, the danger is that they've, they've offered them this historic moment and because of the mood they're in creatively as a company, could potentially cock it up. Yeah. By, by, by giving them too much to have to contend with as performers instead of just having kept it simple. Yeah, absolutely. But perhaps we should save some of this material for our preview show. <laughs> um, all right. Um, so Seth Rollins, of course, uh, has that great run, the Inside title. He has a a ladder match at Greatest Rumble, and then a singles match against The Miz at Backlash, both of which are very, very good. Yep, absolutely. Backlash one is is particularly incredible. Um, the ladder match is in itself really good. The the forgot, you know, we talked about the forgotten great Shield match. I feel like that's the forgotten great Intercontinental Title defense for Seth. Uh, funnily enough, um, spoiler alert: it is very high up on mine and Doc's list of oh, greatest mid-card um, matches. I can't remember quite how high up it is, but higher than you would think. It's um, it's another instance, isn't it? You and I have talked a lot about how Seth and Dean particularly are great at, at turning the genre on its head. Um, and it's an, it, it, what I liked about it was that it was just a, a, a very kind of small example of doing that, the idea of someone actually doing that Spider-Man spot and winning from it is something that we'd, we'd not seen before. Um, and but again makes makes total sense and was and was really uh, kind of a, sort of a breathless moment when it happened as well. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And of course, who could forget Roman Reigns with Jinder Mahal? No, I joke. Um, <laughs> um, the, uh, Followed, I think, by Roman Reigns versus Bobby Lashley. At the <laughs> what a what a, a double header that is. Um, all, I, all to build him up to wrestle Brock Lesnar. I mean, good lord. Roman went from Brock Lesnar to Jinder Mahal to Bobby Lashley back to Brock Lesnar again. What a rough time of it. Yeah, quite. No wonder. No, I shouldn't make that joke. Anyway, um, <laughs> so AJ Styles and uh, Shinsuke Nakamura obviously had had one. I mean, I mean, obviously, probably the last man standing was the best of those matches. Would you say? They all merge into one. For me they point. do because I, the character is yeah. The, I remember enjoying the last man standing match, but that yeah, I, I can't. I, w- I would struggle to distinguish any one from the rest. Um, I, I guess the thing was is that after the heel turn, they, they uh, just went with this was Styles' 2018 in a nutshell, though, wasn't it? He just had the same matches over and over again with the same people over and over again. Because again, if you go to um, his matches with Samoa Joe, like the SummerSlam one in particular, I was a huge fan of that match. I thought it was brilliant, but they had so many other matches as well. Yeah. Um, but I would say the SummerSlam match did really stand out to me. I was uh, I was a big, big fan of it. Yeah, I think the SummerSlam match is really good. I think the ones that came after were a bit disappointing. Um, but, the, you know, it's we've, we've banged on about this a lot, haven't we? The issue is that AJ Styles just doesn't seem to have a character, um, especially when he's a babyface. Like, it, it just they just do this. The Samoa Joe feud and the Shinsuke Nakamura feud were ostensibly the same which was yeah. on a conceptual level it was bad guy gets under good guy's skin 
<laughs> pretty much, yeah, pretty yeah. much. And 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 I mean, luckily he was against two relatively charismatic performers, so they both did it in a slightly different way, and they both did it in a in a relatively entertaining way. But the the you know the the overall rivalry suffered from it because, as we've said, you know a lot of the matches were were largely interchangeable. Um, I remember watching the WrestleMania match back and being pleasantly surprised by it, and I and I like the low blow at the end of it, which was a real surprise. Uh, but the SummerSlam match for AJ, I think, was his best match of that year, uh, and was just really you know really smartly worked. And like I said, one of the three matches that they afforded the time that year at SummerSlam too, and built the show around. Because I think that Seth's match with Ziggler at SummerSlam that year was really, really good as well. The and the one before Ziggler. Money in the Bank was... No. They did the, the Iron Man at Extreme Rules. That was they? it, yeah, which I really enjoyed that. I, I, I That was thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable. I thought, yeah, I really enjoyed that that Rollins-Ziggler feud. It was kind of like, like we said at the time, it was Rollins represented what Ziggler could have been. And I just, I love that kind of a dynamic. And the the brilliant way that the the brilliant thing about the SummerSlam match is obviously they brought Dean back, um, and Dean and Drew both I thought played their roles on the outside to absolute perfection in that match, uh, and by by adding something to it without intruding in on it and and leading it to being you know overproduced and it was just really good, and like you say the the Joe uh, the Joe Styles match I mean to be fair I thought they produced the Lesnar Reigns match at SummerSlam. Well, uh, it, you know, it wasn't a good match per se, but they produced it well in the sense that it, it didn't overstay its welcome. It wasn't overlong like at WrestleMania. They used Braun Strowman to, to give it a bit of a sort of fun window dressing. Uh, and they got in and out with the right result in a short span of time. And I know I keep saying it a lot, but that's what was so magnificent about SummerSlam last year. And, and you think if you can do it there, why the hell can't you do that every single time you come up to one of these uh, monolithic pay-per-views that you now like to do? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think I think the um, Ziggler and McIntyre versus Ambrose and Rollins match, which came afterwards um, at Hell in a Cell, was oh, yes. absolutely brilliant. Absolutely, um, yeah. as, I mean, uh, I also. Would, to be honest, I would have it, because I rewatched that for my end of year stuff, and it was probably my favourite match of the year, all in all. Um, it, I, I ended up rating it really highly. And, and I would go so far as to say, even though it obviously doesn't have the same emotional uh, weight to it uh, by any degree, uh, I, as a, just as a, if you took, took it as just a tag team match, I think it's better than the two bar matches that Seth and Dean had. And that's really high praise. I thought it was, when I revisited it, it was outrageously good. And didn't they have some really great stuff on TV as well? Probably. Um, I was, wasn't that pretty sure. Though. Maybe it was a six man, actually. Um, when with all of them involved, um, and then of course they had the was it the MCG one at the you know like the Super Showdown they had a six man with sort of you know yep. that was the first time they started to kind of tease the you know the Ambrose the eventual Ambrose Hill term. Yeah, um, absolutely, and and a slower paced Shield match probably not one of their best, but but one of their smartest in the way that it that it ended. Really good ending with the you know they teased the Ambrose turn halfway through and then the end. Seth and Roman basically sort of sacrifice themselves to protect Dean uh, in a, in a couple of really cool moments. Of course, and, and Brian Miz. What do we think of Brian Miz? I was disappointed with Brian Miz when I went and revisited it, and I remember thinking at the time that there was an issue there in the sense that it felt like Brian was really the bad guy, 
I can't remember, I can't remember how how I ended up feeling that way, but I you know I ended up punch feeling, you in the face thing, I guess. It was the punch you in the face thing and it was the stuff it was the fact that I think Miz was saying a lot of stuff that actually rang true because he was someone who came in uh to the to the business uh you know with a stigma and did work hard to overcome it and succeeded in overcoming it through working hard, you know, and became a good wrestler and stuff. And and Brian just came off I, th- I remember thinking Brian came off as quite smug and elitist. Um, the match itself was good, but when I revisited it, I remember thinking it felt a little flat. People were expecting, I think, so much of it, having, you know, built it up for themselves over such a long time that I think inevitably it wasn't going to live up to those expectations. I did really enjoy it. I have to say, like, um, you know, that SummerSlam card, those three matches you mentioned before. I thoroughly enjoyed every single one of them, um, oh, yeah, sure. and I, I went. Mean, back, I, go on. I could watch them all afterwards, you know, which is something I've done fairly rarely, um, yeah. you know, recently. But I did rewatch them all uh, the day after I watched it. I, I went and watched those three matches again. Yeah, I mean, I I, re- I enjoyed it on the night. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it was only when I revisited it that I thought it wasn't yeah. quite so good. I do remember as well thinking that W another case of WWE misjudging something because they seemed to make it more about. Uh, you know the fact that they'd that they'd been NXT pro and and rookie, when really people were interested in seeing the fallout from the Talking Smack segment, and it seemed to be that WWE angled it ever so slightly wrong. Yes. In trying to make it the culmination of some ten year thing, rather than just focusing on the Talking Smack segment and the 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 fact that Miz had sort of commandeered Brian's moves and been mocking him during retirement. Um, so I think they they. They got the reason people were excited for it. They they slightly misjudged that, I think. However, um, you, we know, like using our kind of um, SEID method here, <laughs> is it the first indication of the Brian Hill turn that was to come? Possibly, yeah, quite possibly. Um, because yeah. that, I mean, that's something that's worth saying, isn't it? That AJ Styles and Brian's best match was a TV match. Like none of the yeah. pay-per-view matches were much cop. Um, but the TV match where Brian actually won the belt was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And the first one was good as well, where Brian lost. Yes. Um, it's a shame that it was. A, it, the thing is, they had they had the, like a perfect rivalry in in one sense, in that they they had three matches in a short span of time. The TLC match wasn't as good as the TV matches, but was still pretty good. But then, in typical WWE fashion, they went to another match at Royal Rumble that stank the joint up. And it's like if you if you've got a Brian Styles match that people aren't interested in, you know, Brian and Styles, maybe have a word with yourself. Yeah, yeah, it just it just goes on too long, doesn't it? Um. All right. So, what about what about? Because you and I were both huge fans of it, but it was another case in point of I think an un, of, of a of a question of fashion in the ring. The the Rollins Ambrose match at TLC, yes, continental title, very much so. That was really really cleverly done. What I love most about it is the end to it. Yes, because, and and by that I mean not not even the the fact that Ambrose teases the the fist or anything, but the fact that he he said a line on Raw in the build up to I can't remember what it was exactly, but. He, he said something about the, you know, the intercontinental title falling into his, into the safety of his hands, or something like that, anyway. And that's exactly what happens. Like he's just like a perfectly still, totally unfazed, completely composed after the match, 
and he just holds his arms out and the ref puts the icy title on it and it's so galling but so on point and I just thought it was a, a phenomenal match and and, and given the, the, the necessary gravity for the fact that this was a generational rivalry. I thought it was brilliant. I really did. And I, I don't care what anyone else says about it. I don't care what anyone else says about the you know, the heel turn that came before it or the segments or the fact is they put together a fuse that people um, that was different from what people thought it would be and therefore people checked out of it. Um, and it's annoying because it was a really good match. Like, if you want to see them tear each other apart, and then, all right, go and watch the uh, the Lumberjack match. But they've done that. That's why the reception to the match annoyed me. Like, they've done the Lumberjack match. They've done How in a Cell. If you want to watch them, like, rip each other to bits, like, you can watch those. This was about Ambrose proving that he was right. Yeah, this was about Ambrose proving a point, wasn't it? It wasn't about revenge or anything like that. It was, I suppose, maybe I suppose maybe a little bit of revenge for Seth, but uh, Ambrose was the one who dictated this discourse. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It'd be interesting to, to know what what the plan would have been had Ambrose not decided to uh, had Ambrose decided to resign with the company. Like what might have happened after that? Because it, it seems that that decision must have been known about prior to the rumble given how things went after that with the lashley ic title win and so on and so forth yeah um i mean it's also worth saying that they had a, a if you wanted that match where they tore each other apart they had a follow-up on raw that was really good the, the force count anywhere match uh, on raw that they did in january that i named my match of january tv match of january was was really really good yeah agreed agreed um, what about the, the Becky and Charlotte matches then? Um, I have to say, oh, I, oh. Well, I have to say I really enjoyed, um, and it's probably not the one that everyone else would say, but I actually really enjoyed the Super Showdown one. Yeah, I enjoyed that one. I, my favourite was the Hell in a Cell one, where Becky actually won the championship, um, because I think it's just a really smooth match, really smooth conclusion to it, and, and clever. I thought it was a very cleverly written feud. Um, the last woman standing match I really enjoyed on the night but when I revisited it I thought it was awful um, and I know that that's going to be controversial to say but uh, among uh, certain elements of the fan base but I thought that it was Becky was at her worst and you know that, that habit she has sometimes of just completely overdoing like the body language Yes, it's just getting a little bit silly with, with uh, you know trying to to look like she's having a fight rather than just fighting. Um, like her body, she's so over the top in that match and it's kind of riddled with, with errors and, and botches and everything looks a bit clumsy. It's, it's not their finest hour by any means, but I, I, I enjoyed it on the night and it's a decent enough, you know, I mean, it's the last man standing match, so you can sort of get away with it being a bit rough around the edges, but I think it's a, it's a, it's it's a really kind of uh, disappointing performance from from Becky that night particularly, um, but yeah, I think that I, people shouldn't get the wrong impression. I'm not down on it overall. The the rivalry, I thought it was that, like I say, the Super Showdown match was fun. My fa- person, my personal favorite was the Hell in a Cell one, and I thought generally it was really really intelligently written as a storyline, um, and with both characters as well actually. Uh, and more, far more intelligent than anything that's come since. I really enjoyed the Super Showdown match because of that really old school finish with the uh, the heel, you know, escaping with their championship from a DQ, like in the figure eight. 
And then um, yes, she used the belt, I think, to hit her over the head yeah. with while she's in the figure, uh, figure eight. Like, really enjoyed that finish. I thought it was a, a really smooth matchup to that point. Really well wrestled. Brilliantly characterful. Um, you know, the inver- you know, demand stuff hadn't quite started at that point. And it was just a classic heel performance before, you know, the fans kind of turned their back face again. I thought it was great. Um, right. Anything else in 2018? I think that might be. I mean, I really liked the Ronda Charlotte match at Survivor Series. Oh, that's thought. true. That's true. I loved the finish. I thought the finish was great. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah, it was good. It was gritty. It was gritty. It was gritty. And I know some people were disappointed with it in the sense that it wasn't very polished. It was it was kind of very rough around the edges, scrappy. But I thought that... that it benefited it, I thought. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, no, that was good. That was good. Um, yeah, I, I, it's weird, you know, because at the time it seemed for all the world they were going to go for Charlotte Ronda at, uh, at Mania and maybe Becky Asuka, but yeah, obviously plans uh, plans changed there. But what's interesting is thinking that I, I people may disagree with this, but I think that had that Becky Ronda match happened at Survivor Series, Becky probably wouldn't be in this WrestleMania main event. Yeah, it's, 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 I mean, who, who knows what, what goes on behind the scenes. But, uh, yeah, but certainly Survivor Series has, has, has done well out of this whole interbrand thing. And um, that was a, a, another good addition to the to the genre, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. People also forget that the the, uh, the Seth Shinsuke match in Survivor Series, which, you know, probably further down the totem pole of, of Seth's matches that year. Um, but I thought was still a, a really intelligently worked uh, mid-card champ mid-card champ thing. I mean, as you'd expect from a match uh, involving Nakamura, it was very psychological, wasn't it? And yes. that's not for that's not for everybody, but I thought they did it really well in terms of, you know, could Seth outthink Nakamura? You know, that was it was it was a nice story, I thought. Yes, absolutely. Um all right, so into 2019 um thus far so um ask be becky lynch we discussed that match earlier on thought that was terrific actually really good and also um sasha versus ronda yes sasha's best performance in a long time very long time yeah and i think sadly is destined to be one of those kinds of matches that because of when it happened is probably never going to get sort of talked about, you know, because people are going to talk about the the Ronda stuff. They're going to talk about you know WrestleMania. They're going to talk about the Rumble that year or whatever. Uh, but it's it's interesting in that it feels like a match, even though Sasha is far from a, you know an experimental quote unquote challenger for for her champion for that women's championship. It does feel like it's in that vein, doesn't it? It's in that sort of Edge versus Ziggler vein somehow. I yeah, felt. yeah. Um, I think you know one thing you got to say about Rousey's title reign is that the challenger of the month aspect of it has been really successful. You've had Nia Jax yeah. face, you've had Alexa Bliss, you've had, um, you know, you've had Nikki Bella, you've had uh, he, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, you've had um, <laughs> Sasha Banks here, um. Trying to think of anyone else that faced Ruby uh, Riot. Ruby Riot, even though that was a bit silly. Um, 
And they well, even they Raw. I think they did the proper match on Raw after the pay per view. And then even Dana Brooke, you know, <laughs> albeit again brief. So that that's been something about it. I think has been has been quite successful about about Rousey's title reign. It's um yeah, and I think and, once and this. Sorry, I was just I was gone. I was just going to say that it's been really successful with Rousey's title reign. It was also really successful with Seth's Intercontinental title reign. He got. You know, he got into that prolonged Ziggler feud, but I think that's made people forget that he had matches against Mojo Rawley, Jinder Mahal, yeah. Elias, uh, you know, Samoa Joe, Miz and Finn, obviously. Uh, you know, that, that Challenger of the Month, that variety, and with Seth, it, was, it wasn't it was even Challenger of the Month, it was a Challenger of the Fortnite. Um, but between that and then, like you say, this this Rousey thing as well, where she's basically gone through, it's surprising when you start listening, that she's pretty much gone through the litany of the Raw Women's Division over the course of the title reign. Both of them show the value in that method, don't they, that you and I have, have long championed. Yeah, no, indeed. Um, all right, so into sort of February, obviously the Kofi Kingston gauntlet, we kind of discussed already. Um, and then we've got the Elimination Chamber match itself, which, as we both said, um, was the best Elimination Chamber match in a long, long time. Um, yeah, I, yeah. And brilliantly anchored by Daniel Bryan. Yep. Um, Who's, I mean, I can't say enough, man. His, his performance that night was, was stratospheric. It was just indescribably good. Yeah. He, he, he was on absolute top Daniel Bryan form that night. Um, And, you know, like I was such a big fan of his heel character when he, you know, when he sort of cashed in, in like sort of, 2011 2012 i was such a big fan of that character um and then to see a different heel version of daniel bryan here on that absolute top form because i always remember that match with the two out of three falls with sheamus from 2011 which is just one of my absolute favorite 2012. matches 22 hour brother sorry but which is absolutely one of my favorite matches like adore it i really adore it and oh really one of your favorite matches like uh, full stop certainly of this decade but but it would be high it'd be quite high i think Wow. I mean, maybe, you know, 25 or 50, but, you know, like, I think it's, it's up there for me. Um, and to see him again on that top heel form, hitting that real high note of what it is to be a pro wrestling heel, I just thought it was, it was art that night from him. And the fact that everyone else played their roles, didn't they? Kingston was the underdog. Samoa Joe was the beast, you know. Um even Randy Orton had a, a decent little spell when he first came in there. So, yeah, it was it was a really great example of the genre. Totally, yeah. Uh, I, it's going to be difficult, I think, to have the main event that tops it just because uh, everything was on point. It was one of those matches where everything was just produced precisely as it should have been. The character performances were were terrific. Um, and those without any real sense of character didn't stay very long in the match, which was nice to see. Uh, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it, and, you know, and they innovated during the match as well. They did stuff we hadn't seen before. Um, it, it had that emotion, that emotional undertone to it with, with Kofi's story. Uh, it was, it was really quite remarkable. I mean, that show as a whole was very, very good. Both the women's matches, well, the, the, yeah, the Elimination Chamber. I mean, even, I mean, but again, stuff 
stayed in its lane. You know, the Bala v Lashley and Rush thing, you know, it, it was nine minutes long. It, it kind of just did what it needed to. Um, uh, even Corbin Strowman, you know, I thought I thought was surprisingly good on the night. Um, so, yeah, jolly good. Well done, Elimination Chamber. All right, so that kind of uh, Fastlane, did anything happen at Fastlane? Not really. <laughs> the, the, the Shield's farewell. Oh, of course, of course. Sorry, I've gone mad. Um, yes, now that was uh, that was very emotive, wasn't it? Yeah, wonderfully done. Great tribute to everything they were. Um, one of my, I mean, one of my favourite Shield matches, I have to say, and the standards quite high. Uh, not just because you know, I mean, we we said it, didn't we, in the in the fast lane review? I said it on Sports Entertainment. It's dead. It, it it was essentially just the greatest hits. Um, but as I've said in the past, the good thing about the greatest is, is it's the greatest hits. So uh, when you see them put together in the way that they were with that um, emotional uh, sort of back end of it with the hug afterwards and stuff, uh, it, it just, you know, it just meant a lot to me as a fan. And, and for that reason is, is probably one of my favorite shield matches. Yeah, it was. I mean, yeah, it was all killer, no filler, wasn't it? It was very, very. Um, cleverly put together match, very self-referential. Yeah, no, enjoyed it. Enjoyed it a lot, and it was very, very emotional there at the end. Um, and you know, Brian Owens Alley. Um, oh, weird yes. though the weird though the build was, um, and weird though the conception of it was, they actually once the crowds like you know sort of <laughs> settled down, they had a really good match and. Um, Again, like Brian's performance in it was was absolutely stellar, and him timing that knee as sort of Ali came off the top was brilliant. I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to be fair, I mean, you know, again, if we're talking matches of the decade, it's not in the conversation. But just in terms of generally talking about the decent matches that night, the uh, the raw the triple threat match for the raw tag titles was was a lot of fun as well. I thought with the revival, Alistair Black, Ricochet, and oh, yeah. Brad Gable. That was that was you know it was nice to see tag wrestling um, get that kind of showcase which you know almost undoubtedly it's not going to get a WrestleMania. Quite. All right, so that kind of brings us up to date. We've got a few months of 2019 left, but uh, more matches to kind of come up and you know hit us on the head and uh, and, and join this list. Um, but for now, um, we're going to kind of leave this conversation. We may revisit it at the end of the year. Um, when Matt is back, maybe we'll have a quick chat at the start of our next show, um, if, if, if Matt is back for that show, about kind of trying to pick each of us a, a, a top five of the decade and see how our lists compare. That might be quite a fun thing to do. Um, we, could do that, we could do that with or without him. Uh, indeed, indeed. Um, be interesting. Although we should, probably should take too long on it because we'll undoubtedly have 95 matches to preview for uh, for Wrestlemania yes we may need to do a two week uh, Wrestlemania <laughs> preview yes at this rate um, unfortunately we've only got one week till Wrestlemania oh well in that case uh, it looks like we have a, a three hour paper uh, sorry, three hour paper three hour <laughs> yeah, me a five thing, three hour podcast to go with the seven hour Wrestlemania um, there you go. Put, listen to it before WrestleMania, and you'll have a ten-hour time with. I, I think we'll use your philosophy plan, which is to not spend time on the stuff that doesn't matter, and I spend time on the stuff that does matter. I so, you know, um, sorry, 
Kurt v. Corbin, you're getting the one minute your match will inevitably last. Anyway, right, that's us for another week, guys. So uh, until next time, do check out the rest of LAP Radio's shows. You can find the full listing on Lords of Pain, along with all of our columns, um, Maz, Plan and myself, all our columns are up there. Do check in on the LOP columns forum as well to see all the up-and-coming writers. Um, and and just... to and to bow before your king of columnists, Samuel Pun. Uh, I'm going to arrange for Junkyard Dog to, uh, you know, run around <laughs> and steal your crown. <laughs> Good uh, WrestleMania 3 ref there. Right, that's us for another week then, guys. Um, until next time, take care and we'll does see that, you does later. That, like, make, does that, I'm going to interrupt you, sign off now. Does that like make Mazza the junkyard dog, perhaps? I think if Mazza has a wrestling spirit animal, that's unle- it's, it's basically undoubtedly JYD, isn't it? <laughs> Probably. Mazza walking around the big chain around his neck barking. <laughs> and on that strange note, We should say goodbye. All right. See you later, guys. Bye. Bye.